I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 7. I'll read a few verses to you. I've been preaching a series of sermons on the cedars of Lebanon. Some weeks ago, I preached out of Psalm 92, 12, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. And I preached on the palm tree. And then the end of that says he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And uh, I started a series of sermons, the cedars of Lebanon and cedar is mentioned several times in your Bible and the reference to it because we know that everything in the Old Testament uh, that was concealed was all revealed through the New Testament fulfillment. And today in 1 Kings chapter seven, 1 Kings chapter seven and verse one, but Solomon was building his house 13 years and he finished all his house. He built also the house of the forest of Lebanon. The length thereof was an hundred cubits and the breadth thereof 50 cubits and the height thereof 30 cubits upon four rows of cedar pillars with cedar beams upon the pillars. And it was covered with cedar above upon the beams that lay on the 45 pillars 15 in a row. Now, I'll come back to that in just a moment. I realize that we have a lot of guests that are visiting with us today. I do want you to know that when you come through the door for the first time, you're a visitor, but as soon as you get here five minutes, you're not a visitor anymore. But I do know too, you haven't got to join us regularly. So all of this, uh, I don't want to bring confusion to you. It's the fact that God takes simple things that people were associated with and he would use those as illustrations to help us better understand spiritually what he wants in our life. And this is one of the things that he's created that helps us better understand our relationship with Christ and these pillars as significant as they were throughout the word of God it teaches us about our relationship with the Lord and things that God does for us of great meaning. If you remember the first thing I mentioned to you, these cedars, the cedars of Lebanon, they were planted by the Lord. Psalm 104.16 says, the cedars of Lebanon which he hath planted. They, they were planted by the Lord. So that's the first point. They were planted by the Lord. Hey, by the way, if you are a Christian, it's God's doing. He's the one that does it. And then they were not only planted by the Lord, but as he planted them, they were enormous in size. They were evergreen, which means they were consistent. And then they were not only planted by the Lord, but they were preserved by the Lord. God gave them a bark that was resistant to rot and repelled insects. The tree is full of sap, as Psalm 104 taught us. And these trees that are full of sap, then we know that it is the sap that keeps the heart of these enormous trees, some of them 40 feet around. And here they are, 120 feet high, branches going out 110 feet. But the heart of the tree is kept warm because of the sap. And I'm not going to preach that again, but we do need a warm heart. And then the sap also keeps the branches strong. Our strength comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit keeps our heart warm and keeps our, our strength 
so that we can face anything. The trees, because of the sap, were also fragrant. Then the roots of the tree went down and the taproot has been known to grow 90 feet, wrap around a rock so that if the storms come, it can't blow over. And that's our life as a believer. We're wrapped around the rock. His name is Jesus. Then on, uh, on Wednesday night, I dealt some with the fact that they were not only planted by the Lord and preserved by the Lord, but they were perfected by the Lord. You see, no man ever pruned them, no man ever cultivated them, but yet they were free from knots. And only God can give us a life of completion and perfection. He's the one that makes all the difference. I left you on Wednesday night with they were also used for purification by the Lord. God incorporated these cedar trees as part of certain purification processes. You see, God not only points out sin. Now, we're at a point in America now where nobody wants to hear anything about sin. But if you don't come to a knowledge that you've sinned, you won't repent of your sin or seek the Lord for forgiveness of sin. When a sermon is preached or the Bible is taught to point out specific sin, it is not done just because the preacher found somebody in the church doing something and he just wants to ride that one thing. No, that's not the purpose of it. God's law was given to show us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In fact, if you offend the law of God, in one point you're guilty of the whole scripture teaches us. So we know that we're all guilty because the law is what shows us that we all have sinned. But it'd be a terrible, terrible thing if God pointed out our sin, but then said, I'm sorry because the wages of sin is death, and, and since the wages of sin is death, I'm gonna show everyone that you, you've sinned, therefore you're gonna die and leaves us with no hope. But every time God shows us something that defiles sin, that destroys, he always tells us he's the one that has the solution for it. So for a preacher to stand and tell you that you've sinned, but then leave you with no hope, that's not the full gospel message. Because the gospel not only points out our sin, but it shows us that there is forgiveness of sin. And I pointed out a few things uh, that defile. For example, if you remember, I talked about leprosy. Leprosy being a type of sin and how the, the person was unclean. And there was a process that they could be cleaned by going to the priest and the two birds. You remember that on Wednesday night? One was killed over an earthen vessel with the water. Then also applied was the hyssop and the cedar and the scarlet. Then the other bird that was living was dipped in that blood and water and hyssop and cedar and scarlet taken to an open field and set free. A picture of the death of Jesus and a picture of the resurrection of Jesus. Thank God he not only died, but he rose from the grave and he ever liveth. Why does he live? To make intercession for you and I. When you come here, you're just coming, you're just coming to an altar. Unless you understand by coming here, it's not that you're just merely coming to a piece of wood to bow down. It's the fact that you're crying out to the one that is alive forevermore that has all power in heaven and earth and can forgive of your sin. Then I talked also a little bit about the fact that there was that defilement of sin 
For example, when the Gentiles would overthrow the holy city for the temple to be built originally, and then since that time, waiting again the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and a time when the temple will be rebuilt again. And through that process, they'll have to do the same thing they did originally, have that red heifer without spot, without blemish, offer up the red heifer, take the ashes. The ashes are mixed with the living water, also mixed with hyssop and with cedar. There it is again. And it was sprinkled to sanctify or cleanse the temple mount area, the temple rather, where it had been defiled. That same process will, go, will carry on. In fact, they were to save those ashes and there was a purpose for that. Another area of defilement. Do you know that if a person, God forbid, a person to touch the dead, did you know that? Whoever prepared the body of the dead was considered unclean. If you would find a bone and pick the bone up, a human bone of a deceased, you were unclean. But God didn't tell them that to forbid them from ever finding forgiveness. No, he made a way where that they could have forgiveness. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land, you know this is accurate. If you've been in the tunnels, they probably took you to one of the tunnels that they believe is the tunnel that connects to the holiest of holies. And that was an entrance way for the high priest. And what they would do is go through that tunnel because if they would come in contact with people that had certain diseases or if they would come in contact, let's say someone's there and they would die and they would touch them, then they were unclean and they couldn't offer up the sacrifice. So they built this tunnel to avoid contact with the people. So they would come into the holiest of holies because only the high priest could go in to the holiest of holies once a year and he couldn't go in without the blood and had to have forgiveness himself and atonement through the blood. So here they had this way to try to avoid it. But let's face it, you can't avoid it forever. Someone sooner or later has got to bury the dead. And when that happens, you don't want to remain unclean. That's your loved one that you've prepared the body for. You don't want to be ineligible to worship, to enter into the house of God. He's, it's all symbolic. You see, what he's really saying, listen, don't handle dead things. That's a picture of sinful things. But when we handle dead things, you at one time was engrossed in sin. I don't care what it was that you had a hold of or that it had a hold of you. Thank God there is a way that you can overcome that defilement. And he made a way. He said, you take those same ashes of that red heifer. That was to be a perpetual offering. That that sacrifice was to continue. A picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the perpetual offering. There'll never be a need for another offering. Jesus' blood was once and for all. No more, no more turtle doves, no more lambs, no more bullets. Hallelujah. When Jesus presented his own blood, the Father said, that's the last blood that I'll ever need. That blood is sufficient and it will never lose its power. And they could take that 
once again, those ashes with the water of purification, mix it with the hyssop and scarlet and cedar and take that cedar and hyssop and apply that. Hyssop is the faith plant. So by faith, it's applied. Where's that at? Numbers 19 teaches us that. So we find out that he had a way to overcome the defilement. But now let me think about this for just a moment. Think about the purpose ordained by the Lord for cedars. I'd like to tell you I'm gonna finish this, but I know I'm not. He had specific purposes for these massive cedar trees. He didn't just plant them to say, wow, look at what I've done. No, if we were responsible for creation, that would be us. Because we are intrigued with saying, look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Look at what I've accomplished. Everything God does, there is a purpose to it. The designs that he has, the things he has in place, he has placed it there with a specific reason. He has something in mind when he does that. And let me stop this. The, right here, you gotta hear this. The Lord didn't save you to just sit on a pew. Amen. There is a purpose for your life. You may sometimes have problems determining the purpose. And now be, be real sincere here. Let's, let's be open with one another today. What do you say? How many of you have ever had a difficult time discerning the will of God? Good, I'm preaching to honest people. And probably if you haven't had a hard time discerning the will of God is you've never saw it. Because it's not always easy to know. Some things are logical, but God wants us to operate by faith. Sometimes God wants us to operate by faith and logic. And sometimes advice and, and counsel, there's safety in a multitude of counsel. But someone can tell you what looks good in counseling, but that may not be the purpose that God has for your life. He may direct you somewhere that you don't wanna go. Isn't it, isn't it funny how that if it's somewhere we wanna go, we have no problems instantly thinking it's the will of God. I heard years ago, and you've heard it too, uh, the preacher that he always wanted to go to this one church in particular. He, he had just always wanted to go there and preach. That was his life dream. So one day he gets a call. The pastor said, I'd like for you to come. And he didn't want to seem too eager, so he thought he would sound spiritual. And uh, he said, well, let me pray about it, brother, and I'll contact you back, pastor. I'll call you in a day or two. He said, good. So his wife was in the room when he hung up the phone. He said, honey, you go pack my bags while I pray about it. Or it's like those of you that's on a diet. And you diet and you diet and you diet and you diet and you do real good for three days. Four days, five days, six days. But you're like the fellow that his favorite thing, he loved these donuts from one donut shop. And he had been dieting, doing great. 
And he heard this voice that said, it's okay if you just eat one donut today. And he said, Lord, if it's your will that I have that donut, let me find a parking spot right in front of the donut shop. And he said, on my 13th time around the block, sure enough, there it was. Well, that's the way we are sometimes with the will of God. We try to make our purpose his purpose. And it's not that he doesn't want us to do certain things or does want to, it, it may be perfectly fine that you want to do something and God directs you that way. But there's some things you can know too. Number one, if it's against God's word, then it's never his purpose, never his plan. And the other thing is you have the Holy Spirit in you as a believer and the Holy Spirit gives you what the world can never give you and that mankind can never give you and the devil can never give you. The Holy Spirit gives you peace. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And a lot of times, all that you'll have as an assurance is you'll have a deep abiding peace that says that's the place to be. That's the decision you need to make. Well, God had purposes for the cedar. One thing is, we see the purpose of it in the house of David, the house that David built. The Bible made it very plain that David's house was made out of cedar. Well, how do we know that? Well, you remember uh, in 2 Samuel chapter seven, when you read about how he's in his, in his house, cedar house, and the prophet comes to him. And he starts talking to the prophet. Now, this time he's in this nice, cedar house and the ark of God is in a tent and David said this isn't right this just isn't right I'm living in this beautiful home and the ark of God is dwelling in a tent and he wanted to build a house for the Lord a house that said this is God's house. But his house, the Bible says, was a house of cedar. Now, he should have had that house because it wasn't God's plan for him to build it. It was God's plan for him to gain the materials. It was God's plan for him to get the vision as to what the temple should be. But eventually Solomon became the one to build the temple. But yet it required cedars to build that house. But yet, even though he had this house, that's why the cedars was so important because your house needs to be built on something safe and secure. Homes need to be built on the word of God. Homes need to be established on the fact that God makes the difference in every home. And because he sought the Lord, God gave him the ability to raise the funds and gave him the ability to get the plan for the house of God. But yet it was when he was in his house of cedar that God touched his heart and said, you know, this isn't right. Now I'm gonna lose a lot of people right here. God's house should be the nicest house in, in every community. We, we, get, we really do get criticized a lot here in the church because we reach out to, uh, to others. And as we reach out to others, one of the things that we do 
is uh, we help other churches because I think that we need to help other churches. Uh, Everyone, just because God has blessed us the way that he has, doesn't mean that everybody's experiencing those same blessings, but God, God doesn't give us those blessings to look at others in need and say, oh, we're not gonna help you. Well, that went over. We don't do it to say, hey, look at us. No, we may do it to say, hey, look at him. But I think that we should try to make sure that every church is the nicest church in the in building in the community. Nothing wrong with God's house being beautiful. And when a church needs a roof, put, help them put a roof on. You don't have to always give your money, give your time. If they need help getting manpower to do certain projects, help them out. We've got a church here in our area that they're they're really in need of some repair. A, A friend of ours just went to pastor. They had the same pastor for probably 40 or 50 years. Great people, great people. I've preached there many times. And I remember the first time I went, they were reluctant to call me. They said, we wouldn't think that you'd come to our church because we don't have very many people and our church is small. So I got up and preached that night and you know what I preached? There's no such thing as a small church. Because I don't care if there's 12 people there. When you put the Lord in the midst, when he's in the middle of everything, it suddenly becomes bigger. And those people, I've got a bond in my heart toward them. And they're right now in a place where they need some help. They need a porch. They need a ramp. They need some things that I'm not even going to mention here. But they're in need. And I'm glad our church will step up when challenges come to reach out and be a blessing to others. I can tell you're getting blessed too much. I'm going to have to hold you down this morning. But as he said in his house, then he reflected on the house of God. The Bible says that cedar was approved by God to be used in his house. The word of God says in 1 Kings 6, 9, so he built the house, that's the house of God, and finished it and covered the house with beams and boards of cedar. So David said, I want the best in God's house. I've got the best in my house. Why shouldn't I have the best in God's house? But really, spiritually speaking, again, these cedars of Lebanon are a picture of a believer. Do you know that you can't build a strong church without some cedars? You need those people that have strength and has their, their roots are deep and they're secure and they're going to say, I'm gonna weather the storm and I'm gonna be the strength for this church to be able to stand. You know, you can't build a church on people that are not dedicated and strong to the Lord. It takes people that understand it's not by our might 
or by our power, but it's by the might and power of the Holy Spirit. We know what we are, we know where we came from, but might I add, we know what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us and where he's brought us from. And we know the change that has taken place because of Jesus and he's looking for some folks that'll be strong. You can't have a strong church without strong cedars. It takes that. The other thing is, is he approved it for the house of David. He blessed it for the house of God. And he also, in the text that I read, allowed it for the house of Solomon. Now Solomon took 13 years to build his house. The house was 150 feet long. The house was 75 feet wide. It was 30 cubits, that's 45 feet tall. It's set upon four rows of cedar pillars and cedar beams upon the pillars. So he establishes his house on the cedar. We not only need some strong cedars in the church, we need some strong cedars in the house, in the home. See, one of the major tools of the enemy in this day is he has distracted us from really seeing and fully understanding the source of the problem in America. We think that our problem is all cause for all of these different reasons, economic reasons, political reasons, educational reasons. But I'm gonna tell you something. When America started to go the wrong way, it's when the home lost its cedars. There's not strong moms and strong dads. Mothers and fathers that have strength. This weekend, I can't help but think of my mom and dad. And they were pillars. You can be a pillar and not all of your kids serve the Lord. You can be a pillar and your family will make a decision other than what you want, but you still stand. you still stand true and stand firm for what God wants. If you're counting on the school system to teach your kids right from wrong, you're in a mess. And if you're counting on college to teach them right from wrong, I I never, I attended a secular college, then went on to Bible college and seminary, and uh, there was one Bible college that I was in that they had taken a professor in, and he was wise, he'd written several books, and, and his wisdom, though diminished very quickly, because he got in quicksand and he got in over his head. Started challenging everything that the Word of God taught You know, I never did have my Christian faith challenged much. A little bit in secular school, secular university. 
But where I really had my faith challenge was Christian university. That's strange. You think that's where your faith would be strengthened. But now you've got you've to realize the, the church, colleges, seminaries, they're made up of people. And the people are in a home before they're in a church, before they're in a school, or before they're in a college or a university. So what they get out of the home spills over to what's in the church and what's in the college and the university or the educational system. And then it spills over into the political system. Can I, can I tell you something? Now, every one of you look right here. I'm gonna ask you to make a promise. Don't get mad at me for what I'm about to say. How about this? I'll quit after I say it. I'm just gonna see if you're strong enough to take it. I was taught as a boy growing up, uh, I grew up in the hippie era. And there was more to it than not wearing enough clothes and guys having long hair. There's more to it than that. The music changed. Uh, I mean, the aspect of love, marriage, everything changed. And they thought that by looking different and acting different, they could sway society. And it didn't work. It didn't work. I mean, there was enough strong moms and dads that would look at their kids and say, I know you're 16, but I'm the boss. Now, now I'm not bashing this generation. Don't, don't misunderstand. I want you to hear me out completely before you turn me off. But they were strong enough to stand. And by the way, you may not agree with it, but they were also strong enough to discipline. And all kids, kids are gonna be kids. And uh, you, you know, we didn't threaten our mom and dad with children's services. They had seven, they could probably figure out how to get another one. I mean, they, 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 weren't, they weren't swayed by our tears. They were, their word was law. Boy, it's quiet now, isn't it? But fast forward 50 years. Uh, where'd all them hippies go? You know, the ones that never worked a job. Sit around smoking marijuana all day long. Oh, do you want me to clear that up for you too? Are you wondering about marijuana? It's sin. Well, how do you get that? Well, because God cursed the earth. 
And when he cursed the earth, you'll find out two things came uh, on the earth. Not only was there death for man, pain for woman during childbirth, the man now has to work and earn his living by the sweat of his brow, and they all faced death, but also there were thorns and thistles that came about. Do you know what marijuana is? It's the curse. It's the curse. Now here's the strange thing. That wouldn't even be on the ballot 50 years ago. But now it's on the ballot because we need tax dollars. Isn't it funny how things get right when you need money? I mean, it's wrong to gamble. It's wrong to play split the pot. It's wrong to buy a lottery ticket till I win. And then I'm gonna give half of it to the church. I am going to preach this morning. I'm sorry that visitors are here, but every now and then we've just got to look at it the way it is. Oh, but it's for a good cause. Tithe. That's a good cause. Give your money to poor people. That's a good cause. So now... Oh, I was going to tell you, the hippies. I didn't forget. They're not in Upper New York anymore. They're senators and congressmen and congresswomen. And what they couldn't do with free love and what they couldn't do with wild, sensual affections toward one another, what they couldn't do through their drug addiction now, they're passing laws. And we don't have enough strong cedars that are willing to stand up and say for the good of our nation and the good of our families and the good of our churches, we're going to take a stand and say some things are right and we're going to believe God for what his word teaches. Now I know it's a sin, but I'm not leaving you there. There is a savior that forgives of all sin. say, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with you. Go home and pray about it. Read the Bible. See what the Bible has to say. And by the way, the corruption in the educational system has come about through that same group. But the problem started in the home. Tammy was right on track today. She had no idea what I was preaching. I had no idea what she was singing. But I've preached 10 minutes longer than I planned already. And boy, you're saying, I wish you'd have cut that last 10 minutes off. 
But see, it's kind of like tube bologna. You can whack it off on both ends. It's still pretty good in the middle. (laughs) You're here today, and the message is simple. Without the Lord, there is no peace. There is no forgiveness. There is no perfection. None of us are perfect. We've all sinned. They are wanting to get us to a place where the message will no longer go out. You'll see less emphasis on days like today because they're days that's built on respect. And when respect was lost in the home, it's lost in society. People no longer respect those that are in authority. There are people that I consider myself submissive to. If they're in the wrong, God will deal with them about it. But that doesn't change my attitude that I should show respect and should be submissive toward that. There's things that you need to respect. Respect your parents. Respect your teachers. Respect your church. Respect law enforcement. Respect the military. I started my day today by praying for those that are serving our country away from their families today. I'm saying we need to get back to the pillars. A strong faith. 